Olivia, thanks for joining me today um, under difficult circumstances once again. Uh, it's a bit of a shame that we couldn't have got into the studio for this like, like we originally planned, but, um, but we're here, um, albeit via Zoom. Um, so, um, so thanks for joining me and really nice to meet you virtually. Um, now, a lot, of this, um, a lot of this podcast is going to be around Olivia's amazing and inspiring documentary that she filmed and produced and directed and recorded the sound and God knows what not, um, called Resurfacing. Now, Resurfacing is um, the story of Andy Murray's rehab um, that spans two years. Is that right, Olivia? Sort of starting in 2018 and... Yeah, that's exactly right. It's probably yeah. two years, actually. This was Olivia's debut feature. So this is no mean feat, a massive project to go straight into. Um, and, um, and that is what really inspired me to get you on, Olivia. So um, given that we are in another lockdown, just to start things off, why don't you, because um, like we were saying off air, I've been getting into this whole well-being thing a little bit late, considering like hopefully this is the last ever lockdown, um, but I'm on my smoothie diet. Um, so what about you? What are you doing during this lockdown in terms of maintaining your, your well-being? I think I'm trying to avoid planning too much. Um, I think everyone, I, I don't know, it was probably different for everyone, but in the first lockdown, I was like, right, I'm going to have a routine for my day and I'm going to have breaks. And even though I was, actually wasn't working at the time, I think I furloughed myself for the first few months because the whole world sort of shut down or at least Britain did. Um, I set this routine up for myself. I was going to do, you know, an hour of reading, an hour of exercise, et cetera, et cetera. But actually it made the days feel really long and I sort of lost all spontaneity. And so I think irregularity at the moment is quite exciting and just going with the flow. And obviously if you've got work to do, you've got that to do, but just trying to not make anything seem too monotonous because it just gets a bit grim otherwise. Mm. And that's very difficult at the moment to mix things up, isn't it? Because it's literally Groundhog Day, but we can, we can only try. Um, talking about working from a different room and <laughs> sitting on the other end of the table. And um, yeah, just, well, I don't know, just sort of not overthinking anything, I think. Mm. Or, or, or thinking that, oh, I should be doing this or wondering you know, when, it, when it's going to end, it will end when it will end and you've just got to go with it and get your head down until then, don't you? Mm -hmm. And um, something that I've, I've found that's, that's working for me quite well at the moment is that apart from the, the whole smoothie thing, um, is that um, I've set myself a goal to call a friend um, once every few days. Um, and, uh, you know, I guess like a lot of people, I was probably a bit slack last year with keeping in touch with people just because of just the year that we all had. Um, right. But it's actually been really nice to catch up with some friends that I haven't spoken to for a long time and, and getting into the routine of that I've found has helped me a little bit. Um, the only thing I'm finding now is that I'm starting to run out of friends to call. Um, and we've only been in lockdown a couple of weeks, so that's not great. Um, but <laughs> yeah, anything. No, no, that's lovely. That's lovely. I mean, you just call them again, no? Not that that much happens in a few weeks but just um, checking in <laughs> just checking in again um I'm actually I'm trying to do a book a week which is tough actually because um you have to be in the right headspace I think 
um i'm yeah i'm one week through so i'll let you know how that goes and yeah keep, keep you posted yeah, um now um before we go into uh the making of of the resurfacing documentary about andy murray um give us a bit of background then like how did you first get into filmmaking and, and the whole creative world so um me and a group of friends decided that we'd essentially start a bit of a platform it was like a media blog ahead of the general election in 2015 to try and engage first-time voters using video and the idea was that it was meant to be non-partisan and it went quite well actually and I think there was you know there was an appetite for it there was you know enough of an appetite that we actually secured some funding and that's how Seems of Reason the company that I'm part of started and um, so it was a video blog and it it just sort of rolled on from there and then we started getting commissions um for schools and educational campaigns and then in 2016 we decided to crowdfund our first documentary it was a short form documentary about surveillance in the UK because we thought a lot of young people needed to understand how their data was being used um and then it just snowballed from there um and then I'm you know, that's, that led me on to documentary with Andy because he was in my life at the time um, mm. through a personal connection. Yeah. That's quite an interesting journey. So we've gone from sort of like the whole, um, you know, the whole voting thing, political side of things with a, you know, um, which is interesting, you know, in its own right, but you've gone from that to Andy Murray. So that's kind of, quite a quite an interesting transition there so why don't you why don't you tell me a little bit more about like how did that you know the documentary with Andy how did it how did it come around yeah sure so so I knew him personally and he was always quite intrigued by what the hell I was doing um and when he got injured so it was the summer of 2017 we decided at the end of that year to have a surgery and he thought it would be really interesting for fans to see what it was like for a top athlete and we're talking about a guy that was number one tennis player in the world to undergo an extensive surgery and try and come back from that and the time frame that he was given was that he'd be back on court hopefully playing within six months of having the surgery and he thought do you know what I'm gonna I'm gonna make the most of this whole journey and share this story with my fans and it was only meant to be like a, I don't know, we were thinking about putting it out on YouTube um, for free for people to watch or as a Facebook video because Facebook have their own platform now for those sorts of things. And um, and he basically turned around to me. He knew that I knew how to operate a camera. He trusted me, even though at the time I didn't know him that well because even though we'd been in each other's lives, he was always on tour and I was closer with the rest of his family um but he asked if I was interested and I just thought it was a really interesting opportunity I not knew nothing about tennis I wasn't a tennis fan which was awful um and was that was that a stumbling block though the fact that you didn't know a lot about tennis or did it not really have an impact on things it meant that I worked harder to understand his world um, and also I was able to approach the film from someone 
who didn't know anything about it. And I wanted the film to appeal to people that didn't know anything about tennis, was just interested in a very human, emotional, sport-led story. Yeah, yeah. And that drove me throughout and that's that served me because that's that's been one of the remarks that people have made and I'm really proud of that. Mm, so I think it helped. Yeah, yeah. And, and I remember when we spoke um, before on the phone and you kind of said during the early days, it was just a case of compiling a bit of footage of Andy and, and you know, just doing it ad hoc, so to speak. But um, one of the things I wanted to ask you was that, was there like a, a specific moment that you can remember where you thought, hold on a minute here, I can actually turn this into like a, you know, a, a, a feature length documentary that could get distribution. It could be, you know, it could end up on Netflix or Amazon Prime. Was there a moment where it kind of changed for you? Yes. So about three min- three months into filming, Andy hit a bump in the road and I realised that the his journey, his comeback story was going to take far longer than six months. And I mean, it's not even in the film, but he, he broke down in front of the camera, in front of me at that point as well. And it was the first time that I could see just how much this all meant to him, mm-hmm. how much it was taking a toll on him. And that was immediately a story that needed to be told because this was a man who had been completely misunderstood Mm. um, consistently in our country. And it changed, you know, it had changed drastically up until that point, but not like not significantly because he didn't care about altering the personality that had been presented, which I admired him for greatly. But I was also Mm. quite frustrated by the fact that people weren't, getting to see what I was getting to see Mm, Um, mm. and we just decided basically to continue filming until you know his his journey or what he was going through you know reached some kind of conclusion whether that was negatively positively or non-conclusive you know we just thought we'd just keep rolling and and how did that open-ended type of nature to this project not knowing when it was going to end like how did that affect your approach to making it because normally when you shoot a film you know where it's going to start you know the midpoint you know how it's going to end and then you know that you can start post-production pretty soon after so how did that change your you know the open-ended nature of it how did that affect things I absolutely loved not being constrained by a timeline um and that was so it so it about so about three months into filming I realized it it was it needed to be a feature length film and it couldn't mm, be mm. shorter than that about six months into filming I realized that I needed a producer who knew the hell what they were doing and could help elevate and amplify this and you know give it the justice that it deserves mm, in, in mm. terms of positioning and marketing and whatever and I knew that I needed to find a producer that would let me just keep going and not bind me to anything concrete. And obviously you have to, then you have to create a whole budget, et cetera, et cetera. But um, John Batsek, the brilliant man that he is, um, just said, just just keep going. I'm not even going to 
engage with you on this until you need me or want mm. me as a sounding board just just keep shooting which was brilliant mm. and that must have been really sort of comforting as well to have that support and know that you know you're three months in and and what you've done in those three months is clearly working and and at the end of the day I guess it was just you and Andy for the most point so that was good sort of um a good sort of insight from from the producer to think hold on I don't want to just you know get right in the middle of these two and disrupt the flow um so no that's uh, that's really interesting to hear um so i mean fr- from your um from your perspective as as the filmmaker i mean what were some of the key challenges that you that you faced when it came to making the documentary and finally getting it out there so as you mentioned at the beginning and as anyone could probably figure out if they looked closely enough at the film i so i i shot the whole film myself and Sam recorded the whole film myself. Um, there are obviously a few interviews, like with the the big dogs, Federer. Um, but again, you know, there was only other one, maybe two other person in the room. Mm-hmm. Um, it, the majority was led by me, and that is that is a minefield to to get your head around um, because you're dealing with you know, multiple batteries, multiple memory cards, you know, you also want to back yourself up. So if you're in the middle of a really important scene or conversation and something's unfolding in front of your eyes, you've got to make sure that, God forbid, your camera cuts out, you've at least got the audio going and you never know if what the audio is going to be affected by. So you've got to have like you know six or seven mics all in different places because people are cons- I mean you see the film like the team are consistently moving around there's literally nothing that's been set up I could not ask anyone to stand where I wanted to and I didn't <laughs> I didn't actually want to because that no. that would also mean that they become aware of the filming environment it, it would take away from normal. the moment wouldn't it Exactly. And they're very, you know, these are very normal people that aren't used to having a camera in their face, even though they got used to me after a while. I never wanted them to be aware that I was there. So I was I was constantly having to manoeuvre things around. And as I said to you before, I was I was just on the floor scurrying around like a rat. Mm. Obviously having to pay attention as well and trying to where I could or where was where it was appropriate lead the conversation in certain ways or dig deeper or get things to be repeated if it wasn't clear enough because it was fueled by just tennis jargon that no one could get their head around yeah Um, yeah so there was a lot going on but but as I said to you as well before the film would not be what it is if 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 there was even one more person with Andy or the team Mm, and mm. And so I'm, you know, I'm grateful anyway that, that Andy and the team let me in as much as they did. But I'm, I'm also even more grateful that I, I was allowed to not seem professional <laughs> because I couldn't when there's that much to deal with. You know what I mean? Um, and it'd be and it'd be fine and it'd be funny and it'd just be a bit slapdash. But mm. but we just we just got away with it basically. Yeah, yeah. And what what uh, what did you shoot it on? What was the camera? So I I shot it on a Red Raven, which okay. is the smallest edition, and it was brilliant. I mean, I just I, ca- I cannot commend um, the hardware 
of like red like red enough it was you know it was amazing and I had you know multiple lenses and things that saved my life were those ND filters that you put you screw on to the top that saved me in so many situations when having to deal with weather um sound I got a zoom h4 that's got four different ports and and a mic on top um and then I had a mic on the camera and a separate mic on the stand as well Mm -hmm. um that all fed in that is just pure multitasking, Olivia, that is. I mean, talk about a baptism of fire. Yeah, but I didn't do it graciously. I, I lit, Like, I can't, I can't even, I can't explain how how funny it was at times. Um, and, and you were saying yeah. just before we we sort of went into it that Andy was having a bit of a, a bit of a laugh at this as well, wasn't he, about you sort of scurrying around and dealing with all the kit? Oh, yeah, so he would be, so, so on in the scene where he's talking to his therapist before he's, about to play potentially his final match at the Australian Open Mm. Um, because he was, you know, he, there was very high chance that he, you know, was going to retire then. He was talking to his therapist and it was a really deep conversation about this dream that he had that, you know, basically was, you know, basically showed that in his mind he, like, lost control of his life and it was all about this car that he couldn't control and, you know, this therapist Mm. was on the other end of the phone just going, yeah, yeah, okay, tell me more, like, let's discuss, let's discuss your feeling and and actually he was just pissing himself because I was scurrying around trying to get the mic in the right position and the (laughs) the lighting, like, subtle enough that um it felt like he was really in his own cocoon yeah yeah and just sticking with the with the Australian Open in 2019 then I mean when I first watched the documentary I think one of the most fascinating sort of segments of the film was was the bit that you just described actually and and the press conference that Andy went into where he's talking to you on camera just before the press conference and and when I was watching it I was kind of thinking you know, I don't know Andy at all personally, but you could just tell that he was so undecided as to what he wanted to do. And he almost had like a bit of a cheeky smirk, like a cheeky grin at the same time as in like, I might, I'm not going to do the impression of Andy, obviously, but I might, I might call it a day. I might make this announcement, but I don't know. Is it the right thing to do? I mean, at that moment, like how, how did you feel from, from like a personal perspective because you got to know him so well and also what were you thinking in terms of like the was this the kind of the potentially the end point of the film if it, if that was it the Australian Open I guess that would have been production wrapped and then you go on to post like how were you feeling at that point I so I was like wetting myself behind camera because I and it's my favorite it's my favorite point in the movie because I remember it so vividly I didn't know whether to turn the camera off and just have an honest conversation with him as a person. Cause I did feel in that moment, like I was exploiting him when he was at his most vulnerable. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think, I think he wanted to talk to someone. And also I didn't want him to regret not being able to look back on himself at that point, making mm-hmm. the decision. And that's one of the biggest conflicts that you have when you're filming a documentary and it's, and it's so raw and visceral is that, you feel like you're taking advantage but at the same time you hope that one day your subject is going to be really grateful that you were there Mm. and captured it so I was I was you know conflicted in that sense but pissing myself because like he was like a child that like couldn't make his mind up about 
something like a, a which pair of shoes to have and he was yeah he was just so funny in that moment and so and so torn as well mm. he, he literally did not know what to do and it was you know there was just just crowd of people because like all of the British media and all of the Australian media were waiting in a room for him mm. just that pressure as well and also there was a part of me that kind of wanted it to be done for his sake and it's mm. You know, it's the biggest difference between a sports person, man or woman like him and someone like me, because I would have given up months ago because what you don't see in the film that there were actually three or four more times that he was really close to calling it a day and no one would have batted an eyelid because of Mm. what he was putting himself through emotionally, Mm. physically. And I was I was almost desperate for it to be done, right? Um, right. But I knew as well that it would not be absolutely yeah. not. But you know, obviously, like you know, as a tennis fan myself, I know that Andy is an emotional guy, um, and and the film is is a real roller coaster because it's it's constantly up and down. Oh, he's 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 gone back into surgery. We don't know how he's going to pull up after it. Um, or this could be the turning point. He could be back on court soon and be, you know, be winning tournaments and so on. But given the fact that he is quite an emotional guy, like how did that impact on you? Like how did, because obviously you spent so much time with him that, you know, you're not a robot, Olivia, surely like seeing him break down and cry must've affected you as, as a director. How did it, you know, could you sum that up as to how his emotions affected you during the making of the film? That's a really lovely question. Um, it did really affect me, and I, but I and I also felt quite guilty about it because I had to keep reminding myself that this was a this was a film about tennis. Um. And I, I was so, but all at the same time, being with Andy, you realise that it's not, mm. and it's, it's like, how, but how do you show, how do you show that in a way that isn't just showing a man on camera crying? Mm. Like, mm. how do you, like, tell what this sport means to him in ninety minutes? Like, are you kidding me? Like, yeah. his whole life. Like, how do you do that? Um, well, you did it to be uh, fair, Olivia. Well, thank you, thank you very much. Um, that's probably the biggest compliment that someone could could pay me because mm. you know, how do you justify those? Well, tiers, the, the thing is that I, you know, I I watched the doc. I've seen it a couple of times now, and and you know, you can just tell just how much the game means to him. Um, and it's not just a case of hitting a ball over a net. You know, this is this is a legacy. This is, you know, someone someone um, that's been lauded. You know, as um, the first the first British man since Fred Perry and all that. I mean, that's that's brilliant. But he's well beyond that as an athlete as well. You know, um, but I by the end of it, I I felt I I understood what it meant and and the to to have to walk away from that sport when you your mind is still willing and you've still got so much in the tank mentally maybe in tennis terms but then to have to that thought of having to give it up because of an injury must have just been you know that's that's what I got from it anyway I understood that I felt that from Andy um and in terms of 
sticking with the whole emotion kind of side of things, did you ever kind of doubt yourself at any stage? Did you ever have kind of ups and downs within yourself during the making of it? Because it did span quite a long time. So, um, and it was your debut film as well in terms of a feature. So, I mean, all the time, there was not, there was not a day that I didn't have to, like when I woke up in the morning, go, come on, you, you can do this. Cause Oh yeah, I was terrified I was going to screw it up for him. Not even me. Like mm. I didn't. I don't. Doesn't matter. Yeah, it doesn't matter if, if I mess something up or if he can't make it happen or whatever. Yeah. But this is this was this was his story, and I um, I wanted to be. I just wanted to be taken seriously as well. Mm, mm. Um, but how could I be? Because I'd never done it before. But I think. I think what got me through was the support I had from the team because I was so committed to the project. I mean, mm. there was not a day pretty much that I was not there filming yeah. like every hour of every day because as you said before, we had no idea when the turning point was going to be and I, I couldn't miss it. For, mm. So I think when they saw how committed I was, they gave me the support I needed. And then that whole environment convinced all of the people who were sitting on the sidelines that this was actually something mm. quite special. And I mean, I like broke a, full, a few fundamental rules when it comes to filmmaking um, for the sake of winning over the team and doing what I thought was necessary. And thankfully it paid off. Like one of the, well, it was, it was um, I don't even know if I can tell you this. Okay, I won't say who it is. It was a member of the team. He was, didn't really want to be on camera. Fair enough. Like, you just have, you know, it's, it's, it wasn't about him. It was about his client, who was Andy. Mm -hmm. um, and he thought that, you know, I was potentially going to manipulate the footage just for the sake of drama, which, you know, at some point you've got to manipulate some things to make it dramatic and engaging for your audience. There was no... For sure. Yeah. But obviously, you know, there have been some instances that that's, you know, affected people, the subjects negatively, and mm. that might be for the right reasons or the wrong reasons, but still, that was his impression of documentary making. And so I told him that he wouldn't have to sign um, his consent release form until after the film was finished which right. is a massive no-no. I mean, like, yeah. absolutely. Like, when I told members of my team, I mean, they had their heads in their hands. Like, so, like you know, could you imagine if he turned around and said, oh, I don't want to do this? But I knew I had absolutely no intention of making anyone look bad. Yeah, yeah. And the, these are the obstacles that we all have to go through. I mean, I could tell you a few stories about when I've made that house and garage documentary years ago about consent forms and and then people turning around at the end of it saying oh no I'm not happy with this but at the end of the day you sign you sign the form mate there's nothing there's nothing I can do um and it's just that's the that's the side of things that I guess you know non-filmmakers just don't really appreciate no exactly um but just moving forward on to um the sort of like the post-production of the film um, I mean, you must have accumulated some serious, serious hours of footage here. So tell me in general, um, what was post like for you? Was it, I'm guessing it was a, a headache or two? Such a headache. 
um because as well bless um our edit assistant had to he had help on this as well he had to sync all of the audio with the footage mm-hmm. for two years two years worth of footage in the end which is Ouch. hundreds and hundreds of hours i mean the storage facility that they had to get for all of this footage um coming off a red as well that's some serious heavyweight footage exactly um yeah, and there was, you know, so so many things we had to get tweaked. So much of the audio, like, wasn't great. I mean, I, I can't, I have not watched the film back since it got, since I had to sit in the um, screening room on, on the premiere night. I didn't even watch it. Then I was watching Andy's facial expressions the whole time. Um, <laughs> that I, if I can't listen to it back because I can hear how awful some of the sound is in, in parts, um, so, I mean, yeah, that, that was a headache, but you just get through it. And that's the beautiful thing about documentary is that you can, well, hopefully you can get away with it being slightly imperfect because, because it's real. Mm. Um, and I had a great team. Like my, my editor was brilliant. He let me, you know, creatively do what, what I wanted to do, which I think mm. is really unique for someone coming in as first time director of a feature mm. film. And I and really were you God. sat next to the editor, like literally 24-7 then? Or was it just a case of like, this is roughly what I want this scene to look like, cut it together and just send it over sort of thing? Like, how was your relationship with the editor? No, I mean, I was like obsessed with it. I think I was an absolute nightmare to be in the room. <laughs> I was just sat next to him. And also I'm not, because I've been working as part of an indie production house and seems a reason where we do everything ourselves and I normally edit a lot of things myself I mean I had to just sit there like twiddling my thumbs obviously I didn't you know that we were using Avid I've never used Avid before so I couldn't even work it really I tried to make some selects a few times mm. and it was so not intuitive please can they just sort that out um but I get it it's it's the most reliable software there is um mm. yeah so I think I was probably a nightmare for my editor Paul mm. but he he was brilliant and he was very patient with but but I guess to to be fair though Olivia you've spent so long so many months and a couple of years to be fair filming this it must have been quite hard to let go and then sort of have to sit next to someone else and and let 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 the editor like take the lead a little bit um yeah but, but he did and his experience you know just absolutely served me well and and but it was just so weird. There were so many ideas of things that I wanted to do to try and make it a bit more creative or stylistic and not follow the traditional route. But the story is what the story is. And it it always ends up just worming its way back to the truth and the Mm. chronology as it should be. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Um, And uh, I mean, fast forward to now then, I mean, what are some of the, um, some of the key things that you've learned from making the documentary that you'll hopefully be carrying forward into the future on your, onto your future projects? That's such a hard question. I think, I think less team is more in the filming room. I think, Mm -hmm. I think I'll always really try and push to only be the one in the room for those really crucial moments. Mm, mm. Um, 
that or it might that just might be a thing that I do personally like is in that that might be a personal preference it doesn't yeah. work for everyone but I think um that's that was a massive thing for me I mean what else I think one of the things that I really learned this is a bit more general is that I thought low I thought that there was so much I had to learn about how a film is made I literally thought that there was a formula that everyone works into works with Mm. that I didn't hadn't I wasn't privy to yet and I was really excited to be part of that so like when it came to the music I was thought I was gonna learn so much more about how like the music side of things and I ended up actually being led and what my producers ended up liking more and was best suited to the film loads of stuff that I'd pulled myself from the music libraries over the mm. year just because I love doing that I, I'm led by music so much in terms of my imagination and how I visualize scenes I, mm. I almost yeah. always start with the music yeah yeah and I, I again it was, I just it was so it was so simple and actually basically what I'm trying to say is you think that there's so much mystery around all of these industries and there's actually not and I didn't have any shame in putting my hands up and saying I don't know what that means can you please tell me even mm, though I'm mm. an idiot because I should know because I was calling myself a director but you've uh, you've literally got to start mm. from somewhere in the screening then in the screening room when a- when Andy was in there and he was watching watching the documentary for the first time in its entirety I mean what what did he what was his feedback what did he say because you mentioned that when you were in there, you didn't even really want to watch it, but you were kind of looking for his looking for his reactions. So, so Andy didn't watch the film until it premiered to the public. Wow. Yeah. So, Which, like, so he didn't he didn't request a private screening or a little heads up or. He's got a lot like, of faith in you, Olivia. That is yeah, that is but pure no, faith. I mean his um, his um, his wife who I'm really close to, Kim, she she saw it a few times before, but she only saw it twice mm. before in the mm. course of the whole of the edit, which lasted about nine months. Yeah, yeah. Um, because they wanted it to be real and raw and honest, and that's literally what I did. Yeah. I, didn't, I didn't cut anything out. I didn't, didn't shave anything away. I didn't make anything seem like... Mm like different than it was and and they were committed to that all the way through and I'm so glad that Andy didn't see it because he is so pedantic and pernickety as you can probably mm. tell if you've watched yeah. the film or know anything about him that he would have yeah. he would have ripped it apart and it, it <laughs> like I wouldn't have been able to have told told his story um, mm. and when he did watch it he um do you know, I don't actually, I don't actually know. Mm. I tell you, this Christmas, my husband got me a poster um, and Andy signed it from the film so I could hang it up on the wall, which is, means nice. a lot to me. It's really, yeah. it's a really nice thing to have. And he wrote, um, thanks for doing an amazing job with my story or something. And that's actually the first time I've actually heard. Nice bit of feedback. 
feedback because because in the post um premiere interview he told the journalist that had he known it was going to end up being the film was going to end up being what it was he wouldn't have gone through with it which is completely fair mm. but obviously mm. not what you want to hear as I'm, a kind, I'm kind of thinking that maybe he purposefully didn't want to watch the film before it came out then because he knew full well that he would probably pick it to pieces and kind of like maybe even spoil it for you and all your efforts and hard work that have gone into it. I don't know, I'm guessing, but... I, I mean, I doubt I doubt we would have released it, genuinely, if he'd wow. seen it. Mm. Yeah. Um, so just to finish off then, Olivia, um, just tell us about some future projects that you're working on and developing. Um, obviously, we can't do a lot at the moment because we're in a second or third lockdown, should I say, but um, now is all about um, planning stuff and getting stuff lined up, obviously, for later on in the year. So what can we look out for? I mean, nothing, actually. <laughs> <laughs> do we need Do we need to, to injure Andy's hip again or something? We need, we need a sequel. No, if, uh, if anyone's looking for a direct... No, I'm joking. Um, I am currently working in development with the same producer, John Batsick, and another team that um, just released an incredible film on Netflix. Um, and I actually can't say any more than that, which mm. is really annoying. No, 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 uh, no, you've said enough. You've said enough. I mean, I'm, I'm yeah. looking forward to whatever this is. <laughs> so fingers, think, like, fingers crossed because it's yet to officially be financed, but I'm mm. very hopeful and we're quite confident about it as a team. Um, so in two, two years, two years, maybe you can look out for something. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, how, how are you feeling about having to follow up such a monumental documentary? I mean, are you putting any pressure on yourself? Do you feel any pressure? Um, oh, wow. Or do you kind wow. of feel like that's such a, <laughs> such an isolated, like individual film that, that it kind of even doesn't relate to the rest of what you do, like the rest of your career, if that makes sense. No, I'm absolutely terrified. I'm absolutely terrified. Um, yeah. But I wonder whether I'm kind of fooling myself that I need to put myself under all this pressure in order to make me work hard and yeah. do, I mean, not that I'd ever be complacent because I absolutely love my job and I'm so grateful that actually that project wasn't a one-off. Yeah. And that I now officially get to call myself a director because I still even when I was work even when I was doing the film I was like I'm literally fooling people by like, <laughs> I don't get I don't get that credit. So now it's quite cool that I get to say that I am. Mm. But um yeah I mean I'm never gonna I'm never gonna have the relationship, the filming relationship that I had with Andy with anyone else, which mm. is such a shame. So I'll have to find something different, something new. Mm. But that makes it all the more special, though, surely, you know. Yeah. <laughs> no, yeah, we'll see, we'll see. Yeah, we'll see. Well, I'm going to keep my eyes peeled for what you do next, Olivia, but um, I really appreciate your time tonight, um, you know, during another lockdown. Um, so it's been really, you know, fascinating to hear um, your journey, uh, just as just as much as Andy's journey throughout, you know, the whole resurfacing project and... Uh, and uh, if anyone out there that's listening to this hasn't seen it yet, make sure you get onto Amazon Prime and, and give it a watch because you don't have to be a tennis fan 
Um, as long as you're a sport, sports fan, you will appreciate this. Um, and it's a really, really fascinating documentary. But um, I'm not going to give anything else away for anyone else that hasn't seen it. So make sure you get on Prime and give it a watch. It's a really inspiring film. Um, and Olivia, all the best for the future. Thank you so much for having me. No worries, Olivia. You take care. Me too.